We are joined by Mark Tuohy, advisor to business and political leaders. It's time for the morning brief where the first pundit comes in to tell me I'm wrong about everything. Good morning, Mark Tuohy. Good morning, John Moore. You're wrong about everything. Thank you very much. And Jerry's probably going to sample that now. Uh, so, Mark Saunders has started a website attacking Olivia Chow. He's going to be appearing on CP24. He's probably going to come across the glass bridge and visit us in studio this morning. And, I mean, I guess it's, I don't know if it necessarily amounts to a Hail Mary, but, you know, the other candidates are all losing. Olivia Chow is romping, so they got to go after her. Yeah, and it's exactly the wrong thing to do. I mean, the only reason I can figure out that uh, Olivia Chow is doing so well is because all conversations have been about Olivia Chow. The one thing I learned uh, working on Rob Ford's campaign in 2010 is that the average consumer of news, the average voter in municipal politics, looks at the world through a straw. They have a tiny amount of bandwidth in a very busy life, and so they might pick up one or two pieces of information about the campaign campaign every day and all they're hearing is all of the other candidates talking about chow and so when rob ford was running all conversations were about rob ford when doug ford was running for uh premier all conversations were about doug ford and now all conversations are about olivia chow she hasn't said much if anything at all but because everybody's talking about her that's the name that floats to the top of people's minds and that gives her a huge advantage out there all the other candidates are doing her PR for her. I will never forget years ago, and I quote you on this quite frequently, uh, you said of Rob Ford when he was running the first time, the only thing he needs is for people to think it's possible for him to be elected. And I, I think that is extraordinarily instructive that there becomes a, an aspect of inevitability about Olivia Chow now because she has been the front runner. Yeah, and if everybody's talking about her, there must be something about her that, you know, even if you're disagreeing with her about policy, she must have policy, even though she hasn't really articulated anything. So, uh, the guy who allegedly threatened to kill a or many mayoral candidates uh, got out on bail yesterday. <laughs> Welcome to Canada. I, uh, this is a case study in what's wrong with Canada's, you know, enforcement, political, legal system. I mean, remember, I was on air, I think, when the news came out that uh, this guy was uh, being searched for by police. Police went public very quickly with this man's name because they knew it. And his photograph because they had it and said everybody be on the lookout this guy is potentially armed and dangerous he's threatened mayoral candidates they mobilized an entire city to look for this man that's how serious it was John you'll remember that and then now oh, he's out in bail and because he's not a threat to anybody but what has to be remembered is one of the things that he's been charged with this time was violating a recognizance not just the weapons offenses but when he, we, they were searching for him they knew who he was because he'd been arrested before and he had been released on conditions by a court at the time they were looking for him most recently and so what have we done now well the court's given him more conditions well he didn't abide by the conditions last time mm -hmm. why would we expect he's going to do anything different it's it's nuts you know it's like speed cameras why don't you know they knew who he was why didn't they just send him a ticket in the mail and stop all the bother <laughs> Well, and I am mindful of the notion that you don't want to lock up somebody who might be innocent in a miserable facility to wait 17 months to go to trial. But in this case, you're absolutely right. I mean, if somebody is all
already violated the terms of their release, then why are we releasing them? Yeah, well, I double plus super secret, you know, promise that I this time will obey the rules. Who believes that? Apparently, Canadian judges do. The uh, Canadian Federation for Independent Business says as many as 250,000 small businesses are at risk because they took out loans during COVID and there is a deadline for paying those back and after that penalties start to kick in. Um, should we be more lenient on these businesses or are they just sort of coasting on money they got at, during a time of emergency and now the economy's back? I think I think we need to give them a little bit more rope because you have to go back to the the circumstances. They lost money because the government passed a law that said you cannot do business. Uh, and, and the government had its reasons for doing that in the middle of a pandemic. Now, I would argue that they carried on way too long, but that's moot. The government, by an, an intentional act, robbed these people of their ability to do business. And then they offered them a sort of a bailout package, but the bailout package wasn't sort of compensation for the money they lost. It was a loan that at some point, assuming the economy comes back, they would be able to uh, to pay back from money that they earn in the future. But they, they're still digging themselves out of a hole because they never got their income for years, in many cases, if you're a restaurant. So you're years behind on the revenue flow. I think giving them more time to uh, pay this back without the penalty, the lump sum penalty of uh, because the deal was if you pay it back in a certain time we'll forgive 20,000 bucks well we should forgive the 20,000 bucks and uh, and just get them to pay back the rest of it which I think they're all prepared to do but we also have to remember that in the private sector economy not including government employees 68% of Canadians work for small businesses so if you're going to cripple small businesses you're going to cripple a whole lot of millions of Canadian workers Okay, so I mentioned in passing, because sometimes I don't know if one of our pundits is going to be invested in a story, uh, the second day of Prince Harry on the stand at the trial in London, and you wrote back, I'm a big Harry fan, fight me. <laughs> so <laughs> apparently you've been following the story. I, I actually haven't been following too closely his testimony. I read his book, which I, I recommend to people who want to know. It's a good biography. It's all from his point of view. So like any biography or autobiography, you take it with a, a grain of salt. But, you know, he's fighting against an institution in British media that is very fundamentally different from media in Canada, even in the United States. It is common on Fleet Street for these tabloids to pay people for stories. Yeah. And so there's a huge financial motivation for the people that took care of Harry, you know, his surrogate parents uh, while he was a kid. All the people who worked in his household, a lot of them were on the take. They were fighting. You know, feeding information to them. Uh, publishers, editors of newspapers, we know for a fact because they've admitted it. They were illegally hacking into phone conversations and to emails and that kind of stuff. So he's been under the gun from the get-go. He's pissed off with it. He is rightly or wrongly afraid that his wife and his kids are going to be subject to what he and his brother were with the death of their mother at the hands of paparazzi. And, you know, maybe that's post-traumatic stress. Maybe it's a realistic fear. 
but it's real for him. So I'm on his side. Thank you, sir. Good to have you this morning. Thanks, John. Mark Tui on the morning brief.